If you enjoy these podcasts, check out Byron Reese's newest book. It's about artificial intelligence and covers all the topics addressed on Voices in AI. It's called The Fourth Age, Smart Robots, Conscious Computers, and the Future of Humanity. And it's available now wherever fine books are sold. This is Voices in AI brought to you by GigaOM and I'm Byron Reese. Today, my guest is Ron Green. Ron is the CPO over at KungFu.ai. He holds a BA in computer science from the University of Texas at Austin, and he holds a Master of Science from the University of Sussex in Evolutionary and Adaptive Systems. His company, KungFu.ai, is a professional services company that helps companies uh, start and accelerate artificial intelligence projects. I asked him on the show today because I wanted to do an episode that was a little more hands-on about how an enterprise today can apply this technology to uh, their business. Welcome to the show, Ron. Thank you for having me. So let's start with that. Um, What size of organization do you see, what sizes of organizations do you see that are kind of starting and doing machine machine learning kind of projects? Yeah, we're seeing companies really at all sizes and all stages, meaning companies, um, you know, companies, really large companies, you'd be surprised, um, you know, Fortune 500 level companies that may have some data science experience, but are really looking to um, come up to speed and take advantage of a lot of the recent advances in machine learning. So uh, we work typically with sort of what we call mid-tier companies, 100 million to maybe 2 billion in revenue. And we're seeing really pretty much across the spectrum, everybody moving uh, into machine learning and AI. But there has to be a lower end. Like, I don't think my dry cleaner mm. is spinning up yeah. any projects right now. So what, <laughs> no, no, what, size, what, what size of company should kind of not even, I mean, they'll, they'll use tools that yeah. have been built using it. But in terms of like, Doing their massing their own data uh, and, and doing their own development on it. What would be the a small a company that probably well, yeah. it doesn't make sense for them yeah. at this point? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, at the lowest at the lowest level, if you're talking about you know some guys starting a company on their own with the machine learning libraries, the open source machine learning libraries that are out there, if you were trying to do something to, let's say. Um, use natural language processing as a part of your project, there really is no lower bound now. I mean, a, a couple of guys in a garage could take advantage of these techniques uh, in an affordable way and integrate them into the product. I, I really don't think there's a lower bound. So let's walk through kind of the life cycle of a project. I'm an enterprise with, mm, let's say, a development, uh, with a development department that's of programmers that maybe has 200 people. And okay. I get the edict from the CEO that we need to uh, do some of that AI stuff that he or she right. is hearing a lot about. How do you start uh, and identify places that the technology can be applied to? Um, you know, we, we really have a methodology for that, and it's it's um, it's pretty straightforward. Um, you need a, you need a combination of a few things. You you've really got to understand the business and the, the business objectives. If you just walk in and you start building technology for technology's sake, you're not helping anybody. 
Um, but you've also got to marry that with an understanding of what data is available. So you may be, you may have a really high level, important strategic initiative that you want to solve, um, but you don't have the data. Um, and we see that occasionally. And in those instances, you know, it's not, it's not the best outcome, but knowing sooner than later that you need to start collecting data or you need to start augmenting or brokering your data, that, that's, um, that's a, a good thing to, to learn sooner than later. Um, uh, but lastly, you really need to understand what the state of the art is. So you, you marry the business objective with the available data and the, the feasibility. Um, things are moving pretty quickly in a couple of fields, especially computer vision and natural language processing. Um, so, you know, something that wasn't even possible a couple of years ago may be possible now. And you look at the intersection and we very much are, we consider ourselves sort of practical AI in that we're not interested in taking on two-year research projects. We are, we're very much about uh, building solutions today with the tools that are available today and getting them into production. And so we find an intersection of those three areas um, and try to typically move quickly, you know, have, have things completed within a quarter um, and live so that there's you, companies can get a quick win under the belt and get confidence about moving into this space. So critique an idea for me. Let me just throw a couple of random ones at you. And how would you? Okay. Uh, so I'm a, I'm a large company that has 10,000 employees and a long operating history. And what I want to do, and I've hired a bunch of people and, and some people work out and some people don't. And I have performance reviews that actually quantify how people are doing. And I say to you, here's what I want to do. I want to take every resume that's ever been submitted to us. We've hired the person. And I want you to figure out, um, what, can you predict, can you just help me predict the success of any given resume based on uh, the, all that hiring data and all that success or failure data? Oh, yeah. That, that's a great one. Um, we, we've never worked on a project exactly like that, but we've done things that are pretty similar. So, you know, a, pro a problem like that, you're dealing with uh, a bunch of different kinds of data, right? You're dealing with textual data. You may be dealing with um, categorical data, meaning um, uh, information about where they graduated or what their degree was in. Um, and then you might even have numeric data, like how, how long they worked at a job or what their GPA was, things like that. So, you know, sort of a multimodal problem like that is... Um, really ideal for a couple of different techniques. Um, and I would actually say that there's, there's, there's a little bit of a sort of a secret in AI right now that a couple of techniques are dominating the field and they're, they're really boosted trees and uh, deep learning models. And so um, trees are a little bit easier to work with initially. So I would, I would take a stab at saying, let's collect that data. Um, and, and let me back up and say that to solve a problem like this, you would need you know, sufficient data set. You would need, you know, thousands of instances of resumes and then the resulting, you know, hiring decision um, and performance uh, information. But then you could, you could quite readily build a system that would take in that text, take in the categorical data, take in that, the continuous numeric values, and uh, essentially build a prediction system around uh, those, those resumes and the predicted performance. I've heard it said, and these kind of generalizations, you know, they vary widely in the real world, but I'm, I'm curious if you would agree with this, uh, if, if you think it's close. I've heard it said that 80% of all development efforts on AI projects, 80% of the effort and time and money and energy is just cleaning up the data. Yeah, you know, 
I don't think that's wildly off. And I wouldn't say no, it's not even so much cleaning up the data. That's a huge part of it, definitely. But um, what gets lumped into cleaning up the data is, is often uh, uh, like data selection or, or, or data assessment and things like feature engineering, trying to um, take the data and, and get it in a format that can be put into some type of machine learning model. That, and all of those different tasks typically kind of get lumped into data cleanup or, or, or the data phase. And um, if you view it through that lens, I think it's very likely that it's, it's somewhere between 50 to 80% of the work because uh, selecting the features and, and trying to understand the data and, and get your head around some problem domain is really, really important because if you don't understand the data set, you don't understand the problem domain very well, it doesn't matter how great your algorithms or, or models are, you're, you're not going to, you're not going to get good results. So you really have to focus on that initial phase. You know, we went through this era of big data, that phrase, uh, yeah. about 10 years, no longer than that. I remember 12, 12 or so years ago. And we had, um, a lot of data scientists, you, you started hearing about data scientists and data mm-hmm. analytics became a thing. And now we hear about uh, AI and machine learning. How would you say those two technologies are different or, or is it all just kind of packaging and marketing and it's really the same thing when it comes to the enterprise? No, no, I, I really do think there's a difference. Um, um, so so the, way, the way I think about it is, is that if you're doing analytics, it's more... Um, you're looking backwards and I don't mean that, a, you know, a negative sense. It's that you're taking the data, you're trying to understand patterns or find correlations, or you're trying to explain things that happened in the past. And that's a little bit different than what you, we're seeing more and more now, especially in machine learning, which is using, using data to make predictions about the future. Right. And the, the dominant techniques that, that are really seeing a lot of, um, attention these days are the supervised learning techniques, right? Where you take a set of data where you know what the right answer is um, and you can train a model just by giving it examples of the data with the right answer. And um, the reason that's powerful is because it used to be the only way we could get a computer to do anything was by telling it step-by-step exactly what it needed to do. Um, but the, the, the funny thing is we don't actually know very often how we do things, right? Some things like, for example, uh, how our sight, our vision is so um, uh, deeply embedded into our abilities, we can't even introspect it. We don't understand how we do it. And so when we, if we're working on a computer vision problem, we literally um, can solve those now using these new techniques by showing um, the algorithms, examples of the input with the associated right answer. And it can then, if it's trained well, can learn to generalize. Well, I hear what you're saying, but if somebody asks you, like in layman's terms, to explain what machine language machine learning is, you might yeah. say, we take a bunch of data about the past, we study that data, and we look for patterns, and we use those patterns to make projections into the future. All data is mm-hmm. historical data, right? So sure. how, that was, and that sounded like your distinction on the um, data science thing, that that was kind of dealing with historical data. So maybe address it a little. Yeah, it's not really, yeah, I, I see what you're saying there. It's not really so much about 
time frame about looking in the past or looking in the future. It's more about, um, to me, this is the way I define machine, machine learning is machine learning is, um, is, is when you use an algorithm that learns from examples. And it doesn't mean that it's not predictable. These are completely deterministic, well-understood algorithms that will always give you the same answer uh, given the same input. But there is a stochastic element. There is a random element to, the, to it during training. And what you're trying to do is you're saying, I'm going to give you a set of inputs. And you know, the, the best, simplest example I always find to understand is like a computer vision example. I want to sh- I'm going to show you a picture and you tell me yes or no if it's a picture of a cat. And if you were going to design an algorithm by hand, it would be really hard, right? You'd have to think, well, am I going to look for you know, ears, triangle-shaped ears. Um, and it, once you start thinking about where the pixels could be or the angle of the cat or how zoomed it, in, it, it, zoomed it is, uh, it gets pretty complicated. And instead, we can use these techniques where we literally just show the photos as they are to algorithms, and it makes a prediction. In the beginning, the prediction is wrong. It's going to be basically random. Um, but then we can update the algorithm. We can update the variables, the parameters of the algorithm to get it closer to getting the right answer. And if you give it enough examples of photos of cats that are representative enough, representative of reality out there, the model, if trained correctly, will generalize. And then in the end, you end with a model that can be shown a picture of a cat it's never seen before, and it will correctly understand or not understand, but will be able to give you the correct answer that it's a cat. Tell me the kinds of mistakes you see, maybe not your own clients and your own experience, but what are the kinds of mistakes that people are making, enterprises are making when they spin up AI projects? Mm. Um, You know, every now and then I hear about, um, uh, you know, people going into projects with maybe uh, too limited a data set. Um, The... We're, we're getting better about this as a, as, a, as a discipline, but in general, you still need quite a bit of data, right? So um, sticking with the CAD example, if you're trying to build some type of prediction system, you, you need more than just a few dozen photos, right? You need something that is representative. And so um, if you're trying to build a system to, let's say, predict um, inventory supplies or, or revenue um, for the future, you need enough historical data that you can, um, uh, that you have access to the, the variance over seasonality, um, over product releases, et cetera. So really having a limited data set, I would say, is, is the biggest hindrance right now to um, deploying a successful machine learning initiative. Do you see people primarily using their own data or are they using publicly available data sources or purchase data? Um, mostly I would say probably 80% of the time it's proprietary data. Um, and that, that's actually a really good question because there's a misconception, I think, by some folks that like, you know, only Google or only Amazon, they have all the data and only they can be successful, uh, in machine learning. And that's really not the case at all because everybody, everybody has their own sales data and inventory and their proprietary data set. That's probably more important to their business than anything else. And so, um, I would say 80% of our um, data comes uh, 
from the client themselves. They, they have access to the data. It may be distributed across multiple data sets, but they have it. And about 20% of the time, we will either uh, augment that with some sort of public data set or um, with a, um, a purchase data set. So for example, um, sometimes you need to augment um, geo data, right? You, you may have addresses, but you don't, you don't have a more fine grain information associated with that. Um, and that's, it's really pretty amazing how much good quality third-party data is available out there that you can then utilize. And I, I, I had one more thing, which is social media data is actually really interesting too. There's, there's so much information out there that's available, um, in social graphs that that's really interesting and useful. You're in Austin. Or KungFu.ai is an Austin company, um, yes. as is Data.World. Are you familiar with those guys? And do they have like lots of data sets people should? Um, they, yeah, yeah, we love the Data.World guys, and they have a tremendous number of data sets that are they're just fantastic. I would recommend anybody to um, go check them out. Yeah, the nice thing about it is they have done uh, a lot of the work of normalizing them and sanity checking them, and you know they're kind of ready That's for. That's right. In a lot of cases, that's that's right. Yeah, so, and it's it's yeah. What are some of the kinds of misconceptions? You go into meetings with some some company that wants to uh, do a big AI project. What are some of the myths that you kind of have to walk them away from that a lot of people have? Um, that's a good that's a good question. Um, I would say it's kind of on a it's on a spectrum. It's the the far ends of the spectrum. Every now and then we'll, we'll speak with somebody who will say, um, you know, it's all hype. There's nothing really there. Um, and I get that, you know, tech, tech cycles come and go and, and, and things can get overhyped. Um, but I've been doing this a long time. I'm, I, I've been in this, this space long enough to have lived through the AI winter of the 90s. And what we can do now compared to 20 years ago is just breathtaking. Um, so I get it. Every now and then there's this conception that it's, that it's, um, that it's just uh, magic and it's not real. Um, conversely, um, we occasionally um, get people who are too terrified to, to start. You know, they, they think that um, you need to be a Nobel laureate to take that first step. And, um, you know, these are just algorithms, right? Um, and um, like any software, it's, it's fully deterministic, it's complicated. But um, it, it's not magic, and it's very much real. So if I were a company that did any kind of a normal kind of AI project, I want to use artificial intelligence to um, streamline my supply chain or manage the inventory I send to stores or um, route my delivery trucks more efficiently or order ingredients for my restaurant or any of the thousand different things, what kinds of improvements are you seeing? Do, is it the kind of thing where it's like, look, everything in your enterprise can probably be made better by 10%, but don't, don't think it's going to go up threefold or something? Like, what mm -hmm. kind of wins do you normally – I mean, I know that's a really open question, but yeah. just to yeah. kind of set people's expectations, what would be a nice win for a normal project? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, so – uh, kind of two things. One is I would say, uh, like you said, that's, it's pretty open-ended. We, we have seen, um, we have seen deployments where we have made, you know, incremental, let's say, you know, 
15, 20% improvement on some metric, but that was considered unbelievably um, substantial, um, especially on the predictive side. For example, if you can more accurately predict uh, sales or revenue, even even single digits improvements and estimates can sometimes save companies millions. So it's, so the so the you know it's very contextual and relevant uh, relative. Um, on the other side, what I think one of the areas that I'm most excited about is just being able to do things that you couldn't do before, right? So it's not about relative improvement. There was no way to automate it at all. So um, the example you gave earlier is really interesting. You know, if you had some way to predict um, or automate or streamline, let's say, just smoothen out the uh, hiring process, that's that's tremendously useful. And so natural language processing, computer vision, like we've talked about, have seen um, revolutions recently. And now we can do things um, in those spaces that weren't even possible before to um, um, make, you know, automate and make predictions in, in data sets that were, you know, entirely manual a few years ago. Let's, how hard, how good are chatbots now? Like if I wanted to build a chatbot for my site to answer commonly asked questions or to schedule appointments or, or all of that, are yeah. those now kind of a super simple thing or is, are those still big projects? You know, chatbots. Chatbots are difficult because I think I think that was an area where um, um, uh, a small win or, or you know some small examples, some small domains, some some relatively small input domains um, gave people a sense maybe may, maybe too much could be accomplished. Um, so I would say as long as you're chatbot needs are relatively constrained and they're not open-ended, right? The types of the requests that you would be um, receiving and, and answering are limited in scope, reasonably so, then they can be successful. But it, we're not, we're definitely not at the stage yet where you can deploy some sort of chatbot system in the help desk uh, arena, let's say, and just, uh, you know, deploy it and forget about it and it's going to work perfectly there's there's just a little too much um um uh, um scope variance in the in the type of questions that that people ask to to really uh hit that level yet talk about the all the platforms that are out there um what is that what does that yeah. ecosystem look like and um are they all designed for different purposes? Are there a bunch of direct competitors that largely do the same thing? And how vertical are the platforms? Yeah, yeah. So we, you know, we, we obviously as a services company are platform agnostic. So we, we get a chance to work really with, with all of them. Um, so from a platform perspective, you know, I, I, I look at it in a couple different ways. One is there's the, the cloud, you know, the infrastructure and you've got, uh, Google and Microsoft and, and Amazon uh, are probably the, the top three. And, and Amazon is is still the leading vendor out there. You're gonna you're gonna see most enterprises deploy on AWS. Um, and then from a tooling perspective, it's really really a, a, a great environment. Um, the open source machine learning libraries that are available, things like uh, TensorFlow and Keras and PyTorch, these are really really well-written, well-maintained um, open source libraries that scale it um, as, as large as you want them to go. And they have baked into them um, uh, state-of-the-art implementations of a wide array 
of uh, machine learning algorithms. And so typically when we go and engage with the client, um, there's very, very little um, off-the-shelf upfront investment that is, needs to be made either in software or hardware um, to um, get a machine learning initiative off the ground. It's, it's really a great environment. So give us a case study or two that you have personal firsthand experience with, like the problem area, the approach, yeah. how it worked or didn't work. Yeah, absolutely. So one of our one of our biggest clients is Keller Williams, and um, they are making a very strong move into technology and embracing uh, AI and machine learning in a really um, aggressive way. Um, and we're helping them on several fronts. Um, one project we did last year that uh, I think is just super fascinating is um, a computer vision project. Go back and um, uh, essentially ingest decades worth of real estate offers that have that were um, that were stored on in data stores uh, either as PDFs or images um, but just really just were sitting there on the file system and had never been accessed and so uh, these files have literally you know millions of um, of uh, rows of really high value data about historic uh, prehistoric trends, uh, um, real estate trends over the last uh, three decades. And, but the problem was, how do you get that off there, right? Um, and we built a, a, a pretty sophisticated computer vision um, solution that allows um, brokers now to email in uh, property listing offers and the pages can literally be from uh, any state, um, any city, any version. And the pages, in fact, can actually be out of order. Um, and there's a page classifier that will go through and I correctly identify um, every page of the contract. And then a completely separate computer vision model that then goes through and identifies each um part of the contract that, that we might want to extract, like let's say the earnest money or the buyer's uh, address. And then extracts that information, uses a combination of computer vision and then OCR techniques to then and put that into the database. And now that we have that information, we're able to go and build predictive models looking at you know 30 years worth of real estate information. And previously before all that information was just locked up, stored on uh, you know, in some, some file system. That's fascinating. All right. Well, um, it looks like we're at the bottom of the hour now. So I want to thank you for your time, Ron. The company is Kung Fu AI. Uh, that is the URL. And thanks for sharing some of what you've learned actually doing all of this in the field. <laughs> My pleasure. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this episode of Voices in AI, please check out the other ones. In addition, Byron Reese hosts another artificial intelligence podcast called the AI Minute. Every day, it's a minute or two of daily reflections about AI. It's available wherever you find your podcast of choice. And in addition, it's an Alexa skill, so it can be part of your flash briefing every day if you own an Alexa device.